In this episode of Cube FM, I got a chance to speak to Adriana, who's a senior developer advocate at ServiceNow, formerly known as LightStep. But beyond that, she's got some interesting and somewhat controversial takes when it comes to the topic of Prometheus, when it's appropriate to use it, and when perhaps it isn't. She's been working with OpenTelemetry for quite some time, some great stories about how she's helped people level up when teams have faced technical challenges. And on top of challenges that would make things very, very interesting, I've been recording podcasts for quite some time, and never have I had the chance to do a podcast with a mother-daughter combo like the amazing team that Adriana makes with her daughter, Hannah, who helps her out on their podcast called Geeky Now. Pretty sure you're going to enjoy this episode. I know I certainly did. Let's get into it. All right. So we are here in a very, very special episode of Cube FM. Welcome to Cube FM podcast. Uh, Adriana, it's very nice to have you with us today. Super nice to be here. Great. That being said, we will have a lot of surprises in this episode, but we'll leave them for a little bit further down the road. I We will be having a special guest with us, a very special guest, by far uh, one of the most unique people I've ever met who has participated in the CNCF. We'll get, to, we'll get to her later on. But just as right off the bat, uh, Adriana, if you had to take three Kubernetes tools to install in a brand new cluster, which ones would they be and why? Ooh, it's, it's like the deserted island version of Kubernetes. Um, let's see. I think Argo CD would probably be one of them um, because, uh, I mean, like deploying to deploy applications to Kubernetes cluster before the age of like GitOps tools, like why? <laughs> so it just makes life so much easier. So that's number one. Um, number two would probably be the open telemetry operator, um, near and dear to my heart, um, cause it's part of like the open telemetry is part of the CNCF ecosystem, just like Argo is. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a great little tool because it, it manages like the deployment of the open telemetry collector for collecting instrumentation data from like your apps and infrastructure. It allows you to automatically instrument your applications so that if you're getting started with um, with application instrumentation, you don't know where where to get started. You can you don't have to touch your code, just uh, update a CR add a CRD, away you go. Not not quite that simple, but it, it does make life easier. Um, yeah, so uh, hotel collector and let's see, third um, Third Kubernetes tool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of brain farting right now. Not a problem. We, we, two, two's, a, two's a good start. We, I'm two's sure we'll good. find a third. We'll, we'll get to a third along the way. And I think this is also like you know, two into my head, like all of a sudden. <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. I think it's also this is a perfect segue into introducing the third person um, that's in that's in the podcast with us right now who happens to be very near and dear to you, Adriana, but we'll let her introduce herself. Hannah, uh, very nice to have you with us in Cube FM. Could you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are. Uh, my name's Hannah. Um, this is my first time on someone else's podcast, so I don't really know what to do. <laughs> Tell us who you are. Um, well, I am a high school student. I am... I uh, don't know a lot about tech, so that whole mumbo jumbo she was saying just sounded like gibberish to me. And yeah, I don't know how I feel about tech yet. I used to not like it. Now it's warming up to me after taking a computer science class. You know, it's warming up a bit, um, but it's definitely not my thing. 
That's good. And it's good that you're here with us. Also have to add just a small tidbit that Hannah is not just a random teenager who we invited to the podcast. She happens to be either Hannah's daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just worth mentioning. Um, we, we, so anyway, we're, we're, we're an experimental podcast and, and this, is, uh, this is no exception to that rule. But, but with that in mind, we will be getting in touch with you, Hannah, later on. And your feedback is very valuable. And it's a way to make sure that, that, that your mom, Adriana, tells the truth and nothing but the truth. All right. So we'll, we'll yes. keep that. We'll keep that. We'll keep that going. Good. So that being said, all right, um, a little bit of background on you, um, Adriana. How did you get into the whole cognitive ecosystem? Tell us about where you're working right now. What's your background? Yeah, so I work at LightStep, which actually, I guess, we got renamed to ServiceNow Cloud Observability, so formerly LightStep. Um, my foray into the cloud world, I guess, um, a little bit of a baby step when I was working at the Bank of Montreal here in Toronto, Canada. Um, they like there was like a big um like there was a devops department if you will that was created to kind of uh you know thou shalt do devops throughout this organization and and so our our team um i was running a team that basically helped um bring um devops awareness to the organization devops practices and and just getting people jazzed about devops and of course one of the tools in our tool chain was OpenShift, which was like my first foray into the world of Kubernetes. I I, I like to call it sheltered Kubernetes um, because there's like so much, I mean, it's still complicated, but there's still so much abstraction on top of Kubernetes that there's like certain things that you take for granted when you're using OpenShift that when you're using like plain old Kubernetes, you're like, oh, <laughs> well then that's uh, that's what's happening behind the scenes. So I guess that was, that was my first introduction into the cloud native world. Mind you, we weren't on the cloud at the time. It was on-prem. So my real like cloud native experience was after that when I moved on to a release engineering team at a company called Ceridian. And they are predominantly a Microsoft shop. So that was like my introduction to, into Azure. And honestly, prior to that, I thought this whole idea of like cloud native was, oh my God, this is this terrifying thing everyone's doing and it sounds so complex. And then I just realized, oh, it's just infrastructure in like someone else's data center and there's like APIs to provision stuff. Cool. That's awesome. So yeah, that, that's how I got in. <laughs> Very good. And if you could go back in time, you know, having gone through that process, first with OpenShift, then getting introduced to Azure, what were things that you would tell yourself at that time in terms of things that would be good to keep in mind regarding resources, learning, leveling up, upskilling? Um, I would say, like, um, first of all, like, don't don't be so scared of it, because I initially when people were, like, talking about cloud native, I thought, oh, my God, this this terrifying concept, like, um there's no way I could possibly learn this, you know, which, which is ridiculous. I come from a software engineering background, you know, I've, I've had to like retool like so many times throughout my career. So yeah, just tell myself to like not panic um, because I think that's probably the, the most important thing. Um, and just to uh, like ask lots of questions, be curious. I think it's really important to constantly be curious. Um, don't be, don't be okay with like, oh, it works, but like, why, right? I think that's that's a big trap that we can fall into in our industry, especially like when you're working on some code and you, <laughs> it's like hobbling together on band-aids and duct tape. You're like, oh, it's working. Yay, I won't touch it. <laughs> but you kind of have to, you will eventually. Um, so just not being afraid to like 
try to understand why it is that it's working that way. Not being afraid to break your stuff too, right? Because I, I think it can be like so terrifying. You know, you got something working and it just like hanging by a thread. Um, you don't want to touch it anymore. But if you don't, how can you improve it? Great points. Yeah. The only fear you have to, we have to have is fear itself, right? That it's it's, yeah. it's okay if things break. It's part of the process. Now, we know after this podcast that Hannah is going to be so inspired that she is definitely going to go head into a career in Cloud Native. <laughs> so if you had to give her advice, if she, if and when she chooses this as a career path, what advice would you give her? Um, probably don't be in the same room as me while I'm coding so that you're not yeah. turned off from it. <laughs> she is so scary when she codes. It like she swears a lot and you're like almost afraid to even move because like it might just make <laughs> everything explode. It's not just me. I mean, my husband's in software too. So like it just, it's, okay, it's a family thing. It's a, okay. <laughs> it's, it's a household thing. With that, with that in mind too, I think it's a good reminder that as much as these experiences are very technical, at the end of the day, they're being done by humans and naturally they're going to be very emotional. And so despite the fact that we're just seeing numbers and colors and a command line and a terminal, there's also a lot of frustration, emotional investment that goes into these things when they break, when they don't work. And Hannah, you are an, an, an active witness of those ongoing emotional processes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Good. I would also like to add that that um, you know, like the other thing when for for getting into like actually answering your question on getting into cloud native, <laughs> um, which is like you know treat treat it as like it's it's creative work really. I know a lot of people don't look at the software industry as as creative work or or even the tech industry in general as as creative work, but it, it really really is. Um, and for someone like Hannah, who is a, a very creative person, um, who might not be necessarily attracted to this type of work because she's like, well, it's not painting or baking or like whatever. Um, but it is like, it still in involves a, a huge amount of creativity. And I think just, uh, um, don't be held back by the fact that it's like, you know, it's technical work just allow allow I, I think the more creative you are the more successful you can be in in this industry that's a very very good point something that's often overlooked about just how much creativity goes into it in the same way that you find whether it's with architecture or art or music or baking spoiler alert we will be talking about baking later but that's uh hannah's subject to talk about also you know uh you both of you are involved in in other podcasts could you talk a little bit about that yeah, so um, Hannah and I have a podcast together called Geeking Out, which we started up started it up after um, my previous podcast um, on Call Me Maybe um, came to a close, and you know, like so that one was associated with with my actual workplace. Um, this one is not associated with with my workplace, so. Um, it, I saw it as a good opportunity of of it being rather than attached to like. It, it still work, but it's more attached to personal brand. And and since Hannah actually um, has an affinity for editing videos and whatnot, we thought it'd be really fun to uh, do this as like a little project where mostly I'll let Hannah actually talk about her involvement in the podcast. So, um, well, it started with me doing a, the graphic design for it. So I created the the logo with the Kathy on it, which I'm very proud of. And just like all the little banners for all the socials. And the backgrounds for um the yeah for the YouTube videos um and then I also do um editing for it 
Uh, I mostly it's the subtitles. So whoever's doing, if like someone's doing the subtitles for this, I I feel you. It's very difficult. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I like put it all together, and then I also help with like the social media of it. Um, like sometimes I do some posts. Like uh, I'm gonna try to make it a tradition to uh post on our stories. Um, embarrassing pictures of her when um it, it when I pause it and she's like so yeah um yeah look for that on such our, a troll um, such account. a troll yeah on our Instagram especially I think it's really healthy because it brings these things to life in a different way that if not can sometimes be difficult to grasp or can be left in that area that's too technical and, and overshadowing that part that really is creative and human. So Hannah, keep up the great work. Um, that's fantastic. That's great. And Hannah, since you're listening to a lot of podcasts, do you have any advice for people when it comes to public speaking, you know, such as myself in, in this particular role? Um, well, I think definitely if you're on a podcast, um, like don't think about how it's going to turn out. Just think about the conversation that you're having with people because sometimes if you think oh my god so many people are going to see this that's when public speaking fears come in but like it if you just think well I'm just having a chill conversation it's gonna be a lot easier and just for a general public speaking don't worry about what other people are gonna think about it think about why I'm doing this and what I want to accomplish by saying this that's fantastic. I think that that's beautifully said. And so often getting caught up in, you know, details here and there, forgetting about overarching objectives, but what is it that I'm trying to do and how this conversation is helping me get closer to that rather yeah. than, like you said, feeling that, that embarrassment or that shame that's going to prevent yeah. you from doing the things that you want to do to help you achieve your objectives. That's a great yeah. point. This is really good. All right, cool. Now we're going to shift it back over to, to you, Adriana. This topic of observability, what was your, you know, you mentioned a bit about your background. When did you decide, all right, this is really where I think I'm going to make my mark. What was that? What was that? How did that, how did that spark get lit? It was, it was a little accidental uh, as all things are, I feel um, like I, the, the only reason I even like heard about observability one time I, I, initially is because like um, I happened to see a tweet from charity majors on observability. And so that was kind of like, oh, this thing looks cool. And I had um, when I was at Ceridian doing like the release engineering work, there was some talk about like I, I was doing a lot of work on Kubernetes and on Argo CD and and they were considering like moving their workloads to Kubernetes. And so there's talk about observability and, and I'm like, well, you know, like we should, uh, because they were going with the Microsoft stack, um, they were kind of married to that. I'm like, you know, we should look at other tools just for funsies, right? Uh, just to see what else is out there. And then that was like the extent of, of the conversation on observability there. Um, and then the, the job I had after that, which was at Two Cows, which you may remember Two Cows from the olden days of the late 90s, early 2000s as that place where you could download the freebie Windows software, which was, it was the same Two Cows, but different uh, business model by the time I joined because they were basically a domain wholesaler and they did some, um, uh, they split off into another area that was uh, like mobile phone, uh, like SIM card provisioning. Um, so 
same two cows, different business. Um, but anyway, so I found myself managing a couple of teams, one of which was an observability team. And um, it was one of those oh shit moments where I'm like, I'm managing an observability team. I am providing the direction for this team within this organization. I better know what I'm talking about. And so I had to, uh, you know, educate myself more than just like, you know, seeing a couple of tweets and, and, and whatnot and, and just really dig into like, hey, what is observability? Why do I care? Why is this important? And and so um, as part of that exploration, I do what I always do, which is when I discover things, I blog about them to try to distill them for myself, but also for others who are probably struggling with similar sorts of concepts. Um, so as I'm exploring, I'm blogging, and I'm also like leading this team and, and um, bringing them uh, like my, my ultimate goal was like it was an observability tools team. And I'm like, no, we're, we're doing real observability. Like, let's focus on observability practices. So I'm like, we're paying a vendor for this stuff already. Why are we managing tools internally? Like, let's focus on observability practices. Let's let's focus on making sure that we're really following what observability promises to deliver within this organization. So that's that's how I I came to uh, really like dig deep into observability. And then because of all the writing that I was doing around that, as I'm exploring that and exploring open telemetry, that was like my first foray into open telemetry, which was like kind of a baby at the time it was this was back in 2021 and you know traces which was the the first major signal of open telemetry that that had become available um was not even like generally available at the time and i'm i'm trying to tell this organization like trust me guys it's gonna be big um <laughs> really i swear and and lo and behold like open telemetry now like i think it's got the second highest uh number of contributions in the cncf it's only behind Kubernetes. Um, and it's got the, the support of all the major observability vendors. So this is not some like fly by night operation. Like we've got, <laughs> there are things, there are many wonderful things happening. And, and it ended up leading me to my current job where, you know, I was like blogging, doing my thing that I love to do. And then my uh, um, the former boss, but person who hired me into, into light stuff was like, hey, how'd you like to do this for, for a job? I'm like, what? These things exist? <laughs> Well, luckily, luckily they do because it's it's a very necessary gift for the community to be able to receive in the sense that what we talk about a lot of the podcast is about leveling up. And so through writing, through sharing that knowledge, a lot of times there are really, really intelligent people that can work on these technical concepts when it comes to translating that to other audiences, bringing stakeholders in to help make decisions around how these technologies are moving forward. That's a completely different story. So I think it's I think that's something we can touch on a little bit later because I liked how you mentioned the point of when you found out you're going to be leading a team, I can't run this leadership based on reading a couple of tweets. You know, I've got to dig deeper. And so in order to dig deeper, there need to be people creating resources. And that's I think falls in line very well with what you're doing nowadays. But in terms of when you're modeling observability, how do you do it? Do you trace apps, clusters, metrics? How do you go about it? So my my philosophy on observability is basically looking at it from like a, a trace first approach. Um, and the reason why I say that um, is because the traces give you that overall picture of what's going on, right? When you're on a website and you're clicking add item to cart, um, the trace enables you to see exactly all the little things that happen from the moment you 
click that button to the moment a thing is added to to your cart. So having that kind of visibility is key. Now, that's not to say that, you know, the logs and the metrics of the world aren't important. I think they are very important and they provide us that additional contextual information, but I don't think that they are the, uh, they, I don't think they are the rulers of the landscape. They're more like the supporting actors. Now, let's say hypothetically someone has ELK installed on their stack and they're exposing prom metrics, prom Prometheus. Is that enough? Is traces really need to be added? And is by extension, could this be called observability already? Or would you say no? I mean, some some people might argue with me and say, well, you know, like you got to start somewhere, which, okay, I, I'll give you that. But is it is it true observability? I, I don't think so. Like metrics alone aren't going to give you what's going on because I mean, like, and, and they're important, right? Like metrics are, are the building blocks for our, for SLIs, which in turn are the building blocks for SLOs. And those are the things, our, our service level objectives. Those are the, our targets for reliability, right? And without those, um, and uh, you know, like, I, I think that's an important piece of any SRE's toolkit, right? Um, because they tell us that there is something wrong, but they can only tell you so much, right? They can say, okay, yeah, this SLO was breached because whatever, um, you know, whatever condition wasn't met, but then you have to kind of dig deeper and, and understand like, but what are the things that were happening that led to this? And a metric can only take you so far, right? Because it's aggregated data. Um, and it just tells you about, you know, one aspect of your system, whereas the trace will tell you, like, it, it stitches that, that picture. It's almost like the history. It's the history of your call, right? Well, good. And we're, we're, getting, we're getting to the point where Hannah's starting to yawn. So now we got to get really controversial to bring her back in the conversation. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I've had a long day at school. <laughs> I'm just tired after school. It's... We cannot have another Cheers. yawn, all right? We cannot have another <laughs> yawn. We know that you have been dying all day to hear your mom talk about SLOs, SLIs. She didn't mention SLAs. So Hannah, can you tell us really quickly, what's an SLA? A simple lying attribution. That's what it is now. So we have a new definition. You heard it here for the first time. <laughs> a simple line attribution. This is Hannah jumping in doing a very good, a very good take on how the industry sounds. To an um, wow, that was fantastic. So that's definitely going in a highlight clip of simple line attribution. Well done, Hannah. Great, great job thinking on your feet. I think, I think with this in mind, though, it, it, is, it is a good point about about where this might fall short. And so sometimes we don't want to fall into just the oohs and ahs of a buzzword, no matter where it's coming from or who's saying it. So let's get a clear look then, Adriano. If you have to build an observability stack, what's going to be in there for you to call it observability? Yeah, so for me, I so I, I don't know that anyone is doing this right now, but in, in my ideal world, um, having a unified SaaS tool that can handle all three uh, signals, the traces, the metrics, and the logs, so that not only are they capable of ingesting them, but also capable of showing the correlations, because I don't think we necessarily have that right now. Um, but that's not to say, like, the vendors are working towards that, which is awesome. Um, and I think whoever manages to, to do that the best 
is is definitely going to have a, an advantage. So I think having a SaaS tool that takes care of that. That's not to say that you can't run your own. Like you know, there's there's there are open source tools that you can run on prem, and you know, more power to you if if you want to do that. Um, when I was doing that sort of thing at Two Cows, I I would rather just pay the experts to do the thing. Um, let them take care of support and the reliability and resiliency of the tool. And I can just focus on the observability bits. Um, and I think the the other part is making sure that your application is instrumented. Um, and it's not just instrumented, but instrumented correctly, right? Because, uh, and, and, and I'll, I'll add one more thing to that and say instrumented with open telemetry, because, um, it is becoming or is already the standard for instrumenting your application or infrastructure. Um, let's stick with the standards because that way, like if you do change to like a different SaaS vendor or you decide, hey, I want to run um, the stack on-prem, um, you don't have to like re-instrument all your code, right? It's already instrumented with open telemetry. Boom, no problem. We good. Um, but just because you've instrumented your code doesn't mean that, you know, boom, done, you know, problem solved, observability in hand it's like you know the old devops thing of like i have a ci cd pipeline with jenkins uh, i have devops no you don't you have a ci cd pipeline with jenkins that's all you have similar sort of thing right like you know we we had um I, i'm part of the open telemetry and user working group and we had um a couple weeks ago hazel weekly come on and talk about um some of her experiences where she was working at an organization where they had instrumented their code using open telemetry but they instrumented wrong um like they they were just like it was almost instrumentation for the sake of instrumentation, and and as a result, um, they weren't getting anything useful out of their out of their instrumentation. So, really, um, instrumenting things that are meaningful that are going to actually tell you the things that you need to know, um, so that you can actually get the most out of observability, which is being able to answer the question, "Why is this happening?" I love that, and I love how the point that you mentioned about. You know, seeing some folks that are out there maybe doing instrumentation for the sake of instrumentation. We're about to be in KubeCon in Chicago, and sometimes walking through the booths, I feel like maybe you're answering a question that nobody asked. There are a lot of vendors in the in the observability space. You know, there's been a lot of growth, like you said, after Kubernetes. It was extremely, you know, the second most active uh, project in in the CNCF ecosystem, which is no joke in terms of contributors and attention that's going on to it. For all the vendors that are out there. You know, we know there are going to be trade-offs. We know it's not one size fits all. There's no silver bullet. But in terms of approaching end users' concerns, what advice would you give to vendors that are out there? Um, listen to your end users. I mean, like really, really, really listen. And I think, um, especially in the observability space, like we have the end user working group, um, where we actually have like we run a few sessions um every month where we have like our end users uh either doing a QA, they talk about the observability landscape um in their organization, or they do like um like we have a meetup style thing called Hotel and Practice where they present on an observability topic. Um, and in, in these sessions, there are also opportunities for these end users to share like their experiences, feedback with open telemetry. Um, and these are such a great way to, um, to really like to get that feedback. Um, and also like we, we have um, an end user survey um, for open telemetry. Um, again, just to uh, like, just 
being dialed into to the feedback for for end users, and especially like if you're an observability vendor that you know is saying, "Hey, we support open telemetry," I think being dialed into the open telemetry community um, is going to is going to help a lot. And, and I think listening to these user stories, user experiences gets you uh, gets you to where you need to be. Really, really like that. And having been involved in com- different communities for quite a while. People use the word community left, right, and center like it's you know something they can just give out for free. But I think anyone that really knows what it's about to be, what it's really about being in a community means showing up, paying it forward time and time again, uh, asking questions, answering questions, really showing that you care about people and that it's empathy-based. You know, it's interesting that we we're talking about the importance of creativity, but I think we cannot understate or overestimate um, the importance of empathy in all this and really dilate into what what's frustrating people and trying to help them and not just saying, hey, I got this brilliant solution without you know listening to their concerns first. Uh, so I, I really like that. One thing that you didn't mention, and Hannah, we're getting to another controversial point here, so you definitely got to pay attention. No yawning. Um, <laughs> so controversial point. This is actually the original point that sort of caught our attention and why we got in touch with you, Adriana, is you didn't mention Prometheus when you were talking about that observability stack. Could you tell us why not? Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, as, as I mentioned to you when we spoke earlier, I'm not a Prometheus person. Um, I've not used Prometheus. But when I was like, um, you know, working uh, when I was managing this observability at two, observability team at Two Cows, and, you know, uh, I think Prometheus was, was part of our stack. And and I I started digging around like I... I I'd heard things from from folks saying like, "Oh, Prometheus is like really hard to to use and manage," and I'm like, Ugh, "Doesn't sound like something I want to be, uh, <laughs> you know, dealing with." So I thought, well, maybe there's a way of uh, maybe there's a way of not using Prometheus. So when I started putting together this the stack for for use of two cows, um, my thought is, well, if we can do away with Prometheus, that's like one less thing that we have to manage. Um, what? But how how can we make that happen in 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 like a realistic way and um, fortunately, I think Hotel comes to the rescue for us um, in a couple ways. So, first of all, there's um, a component of the Open Telemetry Collector called the Prometheus Receiver. And just for a bit of background, the Open Telemetry Collector is basically a vendor-neutral, like binary or agent that is used to ingest, transform, and export your data. So it'll ingest your 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 data from multiple sources, whether it's metrics, logs, traces, either from your applications, infrastructure, et cetera. And then it, it's basically like a data pipeline, right? And it can manipulate your, your data and then poof, send it off to like one or more observability backends. And so the collector has this component called the Prometheus receiver, which um, basically can ingest Prometheus style metrics from your infrastructure. Because uh, as I learned as part of my explorations, Prometheus isn't just a tool, it's also a data format. And so I thought, oh, this thing can ingest that data format. Well, if it can ingest the data format, and then we can send it to like some other um, backend that can process, uh, you know, do something useful with these metrics, um, and I don't need Prometheus, then why why run Prometheus? Um, and uh, and I think like, and, and it's funny because at the time, like just as, as when I was, uh, you know, really um, promoting open telemetry at Two Cows, um, open tele- telemetry itself was not like, it was it was fairly nascent still. And, and this Prometheus receiver was probably even more nascent um, and, and so it was definitely not in a, in a state where we could, uh, you know, fully replace Prometheus, but I think, um, 
I think we're starting to get to the point where there's like a um, a lot of the tooling around open telemetry is, is going to enable that. So we can basically reduce our stack, right? Because again, I, like I think the real dream is just having this all in one platform. Why do I have to manage like even the SaaS vendors? Why do I have to manage like so many SaaS vendor tools as well, right? Because there there are companies who like, you know, they, they're running open telemetry and they're sending like their traces to one place and their logs to one place and their metrics to another place. Like, so you are paying a crap ton of money <laughs> for all this stuff. Like, let's see if we can reduce that. I think a lot of people would be looking forward to the to the day when that when mm-hmm. that unification happens, when that, you know, simplification happens. Until then, you know, I'm going to bring this back to Hannah. Hannah, you've written a lot of subtitles. What's SAS? I have no idea. <laughs> Usually, like, someone says something. You don't want to make something, something. up? <laughs> oh, well, uh, okay. Um, San Francisco. Articulating subdivision system. Wow. And it, even a different acronym than the one we're accustomed to. I love this. Right? This is, folks, you're witnessing innovation in its purest form. Great job, Hannah. Like, Hannah, you're, you're, you're going to be back on this podcast whether you like it or not. Um, this is, you know, we got to play buzzword bingo with Hannah at some point. This is really, really good. No, but I, I hear you on that. One thing I do want to ask you though, Adriana, is that particularly someone being in positions of leadership, when you are faced with choices that are generally nascent technologies and you're looking at a team and you know the maturity level and you know where they're at, you know the things that are going to be difficult, how do you approach the topic of saying, hey, this is the direction we're going in. These are the technologies we're going to be using. There is not necessarily great documentation and support. How are you going to help them through that process of learning, the frustrations of, of the onboarding? What was your experience with that? And what advice would you give to other folks that are helping teams uh, upskill? Yeah, that, that's a really great question because, uh, you know, I, I faced uphill battles like both from the individual contributors and and like leadership alike when I was at, at two cows because because of those things. Right. From the individual contributors, it was like, well, we're using open tracing, uh, which is, is one of the precursors to open telemetry. Um, so isn't that good enough? And I'm like, but open tracing was like retired. So that's not going to do you any good in the long run. Um, and then at the same time, like me going around saying, well, um, you know, let's, let's use open telemetry and saying that to leadership and trying to convince them to go that way was, was, was tough because of, of the, well, this thing's not mature. Like, how do I know this is going to do what I need it to do? How do I know this thing's like here to stay? Right. And so one of the things that I did, so we were, um, we were, even though we had like a, we were paying a vendor at the time um, for our observability stack. Um, I wanted to also make sure, well, okay, how was, how is this vendor selected? Are, are they in fact the right fit for the organization? So I was, I, I had contacted a couple of other vendors um, to kind of get um, to see like, how do how do you approach observability, right? Because it's really like in, in an open telemetry world when when everyone's like speaking the same language, what differentiates one vendor from another from another is really how they render the data, right? Um, and so we're speaking with with these different vendors and and getting them um, and and they were like super supportive of of open telemetry. So it was um, one of the things that I did was like, okay, 
And I get reps from each of these vendors who are working in the open telemetry community. And you come under not the vendor umbrella, but the open telemetry umbrella to come speak to these folks at Two Cows to basically like answer any of their burning questions and and to sort of like calm their nerves, um, you know, to, to let them know, like, no, this, this thing is like, it really is legit. It's, it's here to stay. And, and to my surprise, um, I got, um, I got like two very like influential people in the community, Liz Fong Jones and Ted Young to come and um, talk to the developers at Two Cows. Um, and I'm so grateful for that because they, they, they came there like just to answer questions, um, address any concerns. And it was, it was really, really wonderful. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I remember like turning to my team at first, I'm like, okay, we need to like, <laughs> we, we need some like seed questions in case there's going to be crickets for an hour. Like, oh my God, I, I've, I've organized this thing. And like, what if nobody has questions? So I'm like, I need questions. And, and you know what, like the, uh, the developers like within the organization had tons of, of questions and we were like, you know, we filled up that hour, no problem. Um, so there was definitely a, a desire um, to want to embrace that. And I think having sessions like that, and I know that's not always possible to do. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like, you know, I should have like played the lottery that day to have been able to get that kind of access. Um, Cause I, I know like, especially as the project gets busier and busier, like that kind of access is, is definitely a lot a lot harder, but to be able to have folks come in um, and have, you know, both our, our engineers and our executives alike seeing that kind of session, I think, help bring a lot of confidence um, into the project. And, and so That's made great. it a lot easier for them to like warm up to this idea of open telemetry. Getting the right people in the room, showing them that they're not alone, getting those questions answered. And I think that's a, it's a fantastic way to build confidence and also additional curiosity and, and showing them where they're at as a sort of mirror of, of realizing actually you are capable of doing this. Otherwise we wouldn't be asking you to do it. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's very, very helpful for, for anybody that's thinking about adopting new technologies. That being said, we are now in time for the bonus round. We are now in time to decide the great cloud native bake-off. Hannah, this is where you take over. We give you the keys and you drive, even though you're not old enough to drive yet, because I don't think in Canada you can be 15 and drive. Yeah, I can't drive yet. Hopefully soon, though, you know. All right. <laughs> next year, next year. This time next year, yeah. she'll probably have her license. <laughs> I really want to be able to drive. Like, I don't know. There's just something about wanting to drive. <laughs> yeah, it's freedom. I, I have a license and I avoid driving. <laughs> <laughs> I hate driving. I try to avoid it. I, I think it's in Spain. I don't have a license. I do in the U.S. So I drive when I'm in the U.S. and then I don't drive at all here. Um, but <laughs> Hannah, we understand that you recently spoke at a CNCF meetup in Toronto. Can you tell us what the topic was about and what brought you to do this? What was that experience like? So um, <laughs> the crickets that you're talking about, um, they came to this. Uh, so we did. I did a talk with my mom. The mom, uh, my mother. Yeah. So, uh, well, because it was like a techie thing and I have no idea how techie things work. Uh, we wanted to do something that drew parallels between uh, my interests and her interests. And we had previously recorded uh, like an extra thing on the parallels between baking and coding so we decided to turn that into a talk so we talked about how troubleshooting is very similar 
uh, when it comes to baking and coding and how overall the process uh, is very similar and you have to do all these things like experimenting, refining. And overall, we just kind of talked about that. That's great. I mean, just one thing that might come to mind there, and I think it's wonderful to draw these parallels. And I think it's uh, as a broader thing too, with anyone that's in the cloud native ecosystem, being able to transfer how these things, these processes work, whether it's coding, whether it's building infrastructure, whether it's observability, I always say is that until we are able to put these in, in, in real world examples or metaphors, I don't think we're doing our jobs well enough because it, it even gets to the point of gatekeeping. It's like, no, we're going to keep these things intentionally complex so that they're only accessible to an inner circle. I really like that idea of drawing those parallels. I'm just curious, you know, because there is a lot of creativity in baking as well as in, in programming and coding. What were some of the parallels that you put between the two of them? Well, mainly it was uh, the troubleshooting one because so I had a lot of trouble making macarons uh, because they're very difficult. And so we talked about the process of that and how it wasn't repeatable and how I we didn't read the recipe at first and how and then she kind of brought the code thing about how, well, sometimes you just like go into it and you think you're an expert and you just start writing the Cody things. Um and so that was our main parallel that we drew between them. Great. Anything you'd like to add to that, Adriana, about your experience giving the talk together? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it was lots of fun doing doing the talk and, and really like um, I, as we put the talk together, um, really seeing like how many parallels there were. And I think like one of the ones that we uh, mentioned, for example, is, is the fact that you have to do a lot of research, right? Whether you're having to like, Google, um, you know, articles, blog posts, um, videos, which is Hannah's favorite way of, of consuming uh, information, um, or even talking to experts, right? Um, whether you're, you've got a connection on Slack, right, that you can, you can hit up or, or like in Hannah's case, like hit someone up, like phone a friend or, or ask a question on, on, on Instagram messenger or whatever, to just, uh, to get that extra little bit of, of information to help you with troubleshooting. And, and then as Hannah said, like making sure that, you know, we, you nail a recipe or you nail your code, um, but it's not repeatable, that's problematic, right? So you run your, your code like 10 times and it's fine. And then the 11th time it's cracking out. Well, then there's a problem. And it's the same thing with your baking, right? You're, you yeah. follow the recipe and it worked. You know, we had a picture where we had like this beautiful bake, uh, this beautiful macaron. And then we went to do the recipe again and it <laughs> did not turn out well. So obviously there was there was a problem. So we needed to make sure that we got it to a to a repeatable point before we could then start refining and putting on the bells and whistles. I love that. As a longtime baker of chocolate chip cookies, it's the only thing that I bake. But I'm a I'm a big big fan of making chocolate. I only make them when there is an occasion. And so like last week, it was uh, one of my uh, partner's friends is is pregnant and she was at a particular craving for chocolate. And I was like, hey, happy to do this. And it's something, it's like I said, it's the one thing that I do, but it's, it's something that over time, that troubleshooting and respecting the steps in the, in the process and, you know, the, the measurements. And so if you do these things in a rush, I, going back to what you had said in the very beginning of the conversation, Adriana is like, if you are going to learn a technology and lead a team based off, off two tweets, probably not a great idea. Just like if you're going to, you know, make a recipe off watching one 10 second video, probably going to be 
an interesting result, but not necessarily the result that you desired. I've done that multiple times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't like oh, yeah. following a recipe. He does not. I don't either. I hate it. <laughs> well, okay. I don't like being told what to do. And a recipe basically oh, I... tells me what to do. And I'm like, just because it's written down doesn't mean I'm going to listen to you. I agree. I could not agree more, Hannah. And it's I see that recipe. I'm like, well, this is one person's opinion. There will be many others. And my opinion totally. is also valid. <laughs> yeah, I judge a recipe on how many eggs it has. Because I'm like, I'm not using that many <laughs> eggs. So I'll make up my own recipe. <laughs> Oh, this is great. So I really, I really like the parallels though. And and also that when the end result then makes you question whether it's good or whether it's not what you wanted, what were the things that could have gone wrong in the process? Was the oven on the right setting? Did I use a different brand? Brands change everything. If you go to another country, my poor mother, when she came to Spain, um, uh, two times ago, she tried to make this, uh, kind of like pound cake. Um, and it, but it's because of the ingredients that she has in the United States, the flour, the water can influence it depending on which country you're in, the salt, all those different things can play a huge role. So you're like, no, no, I'm following the exact steps, but the result doesn't come out how you want it. So then you have to ask, where did it get, where was that mistake? Where did things go wrong? I think that's a brilliant parallel between the two. So that's, that's wonderful. Good. Um, we are unfortunately getting towards the end. I could keep talking for quite a while, but uh, I want to know for both of you, um, Hannah, let's start out with you. What are your next steps? Do you want to continue editing podcast videos, writing subtitles, coming up with new definitions for tech terms? What do you want to do? <laughs> well, I really do enjoy coming up with new definitions for tech terms, um, but I definitely want to continue on um, doing the editing I also enjoyed doing the graphic design aspects of it. And overall, I love doing anything that has to do with marketing um, and graphic design and just being creative in general, coming up with new ideas. Um, So it might be something that I go into. I'm between that and dentistry. Dentistry is a bit higher, but like, I think this is a fun kind of thing to do on the side. after school and just something to build experience because uh, maybe it's not the thing that's going to turn it into the biggest break of your life, but it's an experience and you're going to take memories and not only that, but skills that you've learned from that and be able to turn it into something that you will make your big break. Wow. I, that's a beautiful summary. And at, and at your age, I de- was not saying anything that interesting. <laughs> I would I would encourage you to continue uh, with with uh, the graphic design, with all those other elements that can be used in so many different areas. I would not recommend to start doing dentistry in your spare time, and l- under, <laughs> unless it's under the supervision. Yeah, not yeah. Because of I'm you. definitely not doing that in my spare time. I'll wait till I'm licensed to actually do that. <laughs> she she can spew out great dental facts, though. I can. That's good. That's good. That's really, really good. And it would also, once again, be interesting to see the, the, the parallels between those different, because I really think that's where these things come to life. And you, Adrian, as someone that's you know actively sharing knowledge, I think that creativity comes in there to try to better connect with your audiences. But what do you have on your agenda for, for the coming months? Oh, boy. Uh, so I think the, the thing that's been um, really like that I've been working on the most in the last little while is I have an O'Reilly video course that's coming out in 2024 on observability and open telemetry. So that has been uh, 
that 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 has been most of my summer. Um, and then I will be at KubeCon. I've actually got a couple of talks uh, coming up. One on uh, like part of KubeCon proper um, in the platform engineering track with a little bit of open telemetry sprinkled in, which is always awesome. And then I've got a talk also for Observability Day, uh, one of the co-located events in KubeCon, um, which is about the observability of CI/CD pipelines. So really looking forward to that. And I think next month, no, this month, oh my God, in a couple of weeks, um, I'm going to be at All Things Open um, doing like a like a panel talk um, with some of my um, co-leads from the Open Telemetry End User Working Group. So really looking forward to that. Action-packed. Didn't expect anything yes. else. Looking forward to meeting you in person in Chicago. Yeah. And Hannah, we're going to be seeing you doing lots of fantastic things no matter where you are. So I'm not worried about that at all. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's been a wonderful conversation and we'll definitely have to have a part two. So yeah. don't go don't go too far. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having Cheers. us. Cheers. Pleasure. Bye. Bye.